Interview number 93, Gail Herman, building a student storytelling festival at your school. Thank you, my dear brother. What a beautiful soul. All children love stories. Folk tales. They are messages from our ancestors. Then you have come to the right place. We will have a storyteller in every school. Storytelling can teach. You have that openness of a child. Good on you, Eric, for doing what you're doing. That's a great question. Thank you. I'm inspired just to be here. I'm really honored to be here. We tell stories. Know yourself. Follow your passion. And live with grace. Hey, welcome to The Art of Storytelling with Brother Wolf. And I am Eric Wolf, and I am so grateful that you have taken the time to come here to be with us, to discuss and spend the time to invest the hour in your joy, in your love, in your desire, in your creativity, in your healing power, in that thing that we all love and call the art of storytelling. Because that is what we do here on The Art of Storytelling with Brother Wolf. We spend the time on this show holding up to the light that gift, that great diamond that is the art of storytelling. Our guest tonight is Gail Herman. Now, Gail, she has been there. She has done it. She has traveled this road. She has created a map. And she is going to lay the groundwork for us so that we understand the basic principles of how to use storytelling in a school setting. Now, I just want to take a moment here before we get started, before we really get into it, to recognize that many people have told me that while they're listening to my show, they like to do other activities. They like to um, maybe do the laundry or fold the laundry. They like to uh, read a book at the same time. They like to be online. In fact, I, I, I know many people who listen while they're online. So they'll be reading another website while listening to the show. And I would like to suggest that maybe this show, maybe this guest, is the most important activity of those activities. Now, I could see getting away with folding the laundry. You know, that doesn't really require a lot of thought. But if you're reading a book right now, if you're trying to write a paper, if you're going through the news online somewhere, why don't you stop? Why don't you stop and just put your chair back, put your feet up, and relax, and let the wisdom that this guest has pulled out of the world through her hard labor, let the wisdom of how to use storytelling in school settings come into, come into your brain, into that little gray matter, as, uh, as the Frenchman once said. <laughs> let, let the wisdom of the guest come into the mystery of your mind and into your heart. Let the barriers that stand between you, the barriers of busyness and of I have too much to do and is this really matter, let those things fall away and let us listen to what the guest has to offer because maybe maybe she's the one, maybe she has the one thing you need to be successful at this in school settings. So let me tell you about our guest. Gail Ann Herman is a, oh, excuse me, Dr. Gail Ann Herman 
is a professional storyteller, teacher of teachers, and enrichment consultant. She performs for schools and libraries as well as a speaker for civic and national and state educational organizations. Last year, she performed and taught in Kerala, India, and Ghana, West Africa. Gail has produced and directed student storytelling festivals since 1985 in three states, Connecticut, West Virginia, and Maryland. In addition, you should know that Gail has performed her stories around the world. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Gail. Oh, well, I'm honored. Thank you for inviting me, Eric. I know you asked me many years ago, and I wasn't able to um, do it then, but I'm so pleased to be able to share some ideas with you now. Let that be a lesson and a warning to those few souls, those few poor storytellers who are so busy as to be unable to be interviewed on this show (laughs) or just flat turn me down, the one or two. I am determined, and I will come back again and again and again. <laughs> so, you got a story you could share with us tonight? Um, well, sure. I have a story I could share. Actually, since we're talking about building student storytelling festivals, and the ones that I'm doing now are called uh, students, uh, Tall Tale Student Storytelling Festivals, I'd like to share with you a little story that starts with a kernel of truth and well you know that truth becomes fiction after a while so I'll start telling you about night sounds night sounds Once there was a little girl, actually, she's my daughter, Lita, and when we were visiting Nana in Florida, Lita always asked, oh, Mom, can I have a pet? And I always said to her, oh, I'm sorry, Lita, I work, your dad works, and you go to school, we can't have a pet. But she was so determined to have a pet that she went out into the garden And she decided that Nana's flowers would be her pets. And she named each one Tootsie Tulip. Oh, and Wilma Weed. Well, one day when she went out to the garden, she wandered down to where there was part of the little lake that was outside in Nana's house. And she found a little teeny alligator. Oh, you can be my pet. Let's see, what should I name you? Hmm. Alligator. I know, Alastasia. Well, Alastasia had these lovely little eyes and a little flippy tail. And when Lita didn't realize it, and I was calling her in for lunch, that little alligator slipped into the bottom of her little jeans that were rolled up and came into the house with her. When she went upstairs to drop off all her clothes that had gotten wet in the lake, that little alligator slipped out and went under the bed. And when Lita went up that night, she looked under the bed to get one of her favorite toys, and there was this little teeny alligator with his little eyes, and she said, Oh, Anastasia, you can't stay up here. This isn't a good place for you. 
but she couldn't resist. And so she went down and got the lasagna dish, and she brought it back up, and she filled it with a little water and some rocks, and she brought up all the extra food that she could find. And she found out what he liked. That alligator started to grow and grow, and before you know it, that alligator was too big for the lasagna dish. She had to find the biggest pan she could. And then that alligator started to keep her up at night. The alligator started to snore. <coughs> Lita looked under the bed one day and she said, Allie, you can't stay under here anymore. You come with me. We're going out into the garden. So she brought Alastasia out into the garden. Actually, he came by himself and followed her down the stairs. Thumpity bump thump, thumpity bump thump, thumpity bump thump. And they went into the garden and Lita said, Now you stay here. This is your home. Well, Alastasia was very scared to be in the garden because at night there were some very strange sounds. So Alastasia crept through the little screen door that had a hole in it and went back up the stairs, thumpy bump, thump, thumpy bump, thump, crawled under Lita's bed and went to sleep. <laughs> and Lita couldn't sleep. She got up again and she brought him back down out into the garden and said, Now, Alastasia, don't be afraid. This is your home. And those sounds you hear, they're just the night sounds. And look, here's Tootsie Tulip. And there's Wilma Weed. They're your friends. And Anastasia just smiled a little alligator smile, looking up with those little eyes. And Lita kissed him on the nose. Oh, Allie Alligator liked that. And kind of went back to sleep. But then... There were some strange shadows creeping across the wall of the house, and Allie Alligator got so scared. He said, oh, and he ran up, and he went through the screen door, and he went up the stairs, thumpity bump, thumpity bump, thump, and he crawled under the bed. <laughs> well, Lita couldn't sleep. She had to take that alligator out again. All the way downstairs, this time she carried him. She put him in the garden, and she said, Now, Allie, you just come right here between Tootsie Tulip and Wilma Weed, and they will teach you about the night sounds and the night shadows that will really be able to sing to you the lullaby of the night. And so they did. And from that day on, Allie Alligator was very happy to be in the garden. And when he got bigger, he zipped right out into the lake and went off into the streams. And that's the story of Night Sounds. Thank you. Yay! Yay! <laughs>
you created this story for your daughter? Well, it was based on a teeny, teeny little bit of truth. And that's one of the things that um, sometimes is very helpful for students to do is to take a pet and to find some characteristic of the pet that they like and then exaggerate it. Well, in this case, it was Allie Alligator's cuteness. But, of course, when they get bigger, they're not as cute. And this is why it's a tall tale, because this could never have happened, of course. But it was based on a little bit of truth in that there were little baby alligators there (laughs) that had to be removed. (laughs) So, yes, I did create this for my daughter um, with her, you know, in concert with her. Talk more about that. Talk about the concert part. Well, I can take that into the school immediately because to get students to want to tell stories, it's good to um, give them some ideas on, you know, how to create stories. And in this case, um, for example, in October, uh, on the 10th of October this year, we're having our Tall Tale Student Storytelling Festival, and I'll be going into the classrooms in the local public schools. And one of the things that teachers, some teachers like me to do, now it's each year, is be able to kind of lead the class through individual story creation. So there's almost every student that has a pet or a cousin that has a pet. And the students list out on paper, they draw the little animal, and then they list out on paper some of the characteristics that this animal might have. So, for example, it might be a very good, it might love to sniff around a lot. And to exaggerate that, we as a group might take a few examples. So if it's sniffing, they might say, oh, yeah, he sniffs everything. He sniffs, you know, in the anyone that comes in, he's sniffing all around them. And He can always find shoes even when I hide them. And what we do then is we take that characteristic and then say, well, what if this were a tall tale, how could we make that into something that could be very useful? And so some of the things students have come up with are things like, oh, the pet could become the detective's, you know, dog sniffer. It could learn to sniff drugs or uh, learn to find lost children and then it becomes famous, and the kids build on this characteristic in that way. And its story usually ends where the animal becomes famous, with, of course, the student very happily <laughs> leading the animal. And um, the other animals that have been used in this way, oh, I just have so many wonderful student examples. One was a boy that had a little fish, and when we asked him, well, What does the fish like to do? Swim, of course, you know. But one of the characteristics was clean. This fish was always cleaning. He cleaned the outside, you know, the inside of the, of the aquarium and the, the plants. He was always, looked like he was cleaning the plants and he would sometimes even take pebbles into his mouth and spit them out. So anyway, this little boy named Cody exaggerated, um, that aspect and, Three times when Cody came home from school, there was like a repetitive part to this story. He looked for his pet one day, and Shortso, they called the fish Shortso because he was so little, he wasn't in the fishbowl. And so he looked all over the table where the fishbowl was, 
and and he wasn't there. And then he looked down on the floor, and there was Shortso cleaning the floor. And so Cody put the fish back and said, "Oh, you can't do that. You you'll drown in this air. You have to be in water to breathe." Because Cody knew about that from school. And then the next day he came home from school and the same thing happened. He wasn't in his bowl. He wasn't on the table. He wasn't even cleaning the floor. But when Cody looked over at the dish sink, there was the little fish short so cleaning every dish in that sink. So Cody, And this is a repetitive part of the story. It usually has three parts because uh, that's uh, the way folk tales usually go. And so he puts them back in. And the third day, he isn't on the table, the floor, the, the sink in the kitchen. He's So Cody went into the bathroom to wash his hands, and there was the little fish short so cleaning the toilet bowl and Cody got so upset and he was just beginning to go down and to fish him out of the fish bowl of the the toilet bowl when the fish jumped up and pressed himself on the little flushing mechanism and flushed himself down into the um, toilet and went out in the sewer system at which point Cody the teller the creator of the story described the whole aspect of where water goes because they had studied this in school <laughs> and then uh, one day when Cody and his family were out on the beach in Maryland where I live uh, I don't live on the beach but they were visiting the beach um, the ocean there was Shortso on the beach and he was cleaning the shells so he and his mom and, and his sister decided that they would bring Cody back home and they would open a cleaning service. And they did. And it's called Shorts. We make cleaning short. So call us. Short So Cleaning Service. And that was one of the stories that, uh, you know, was a big hit at um, one of our uh, Tall Tale student storytelling festival events. Hi, this is Lynn Ford from Columbus, Ohio. I'm standing at the National Storytelling Festival in Jonesboro, Tennessee, and you are listening to The Art of Storytelling with Brother Wolf. So you, you followed this young man through his entire process of him creating his story. Well, that particular story, because when I go into a class to do that particular lesson for teachers, that was one of the things that we kept trying to, you know, beef up as an example for the whole class so that then the rest of the students could take their pet and just run wild with it. Do you know what I mean? It gave them confidence to see one being developed as a group. But I didn't get give those ideas. Each student and Cody himself contributed and you could just see the energy rising as they did this as an example and of course that was Cody's story he used it <laughs> so you gave him the power to choose what he incorporated into his story right oh yeah the kids would make examples and Cody would you know oh yeah that that's good you know that kind of uh, authorship but it was a group process definitely because he got some of the ideas from the group. But we had one girl who did uh, had a dog that liked to wrestle, two dogs. And so they became, in the end, 
famous wrestlers and they got invited to the wrestling world wrestling olympics or whatever it's called <laughs> i'm not sure um there's a big uh, event and so her dogs were invited to that and that's how her story ended what are some of the ways that you get a, a new class of students excited about telling their own tall tales how do i do that yeah. Well, that's one way because they get excited about discussing their pet in a tall tale format. In other ways, I will walk into a class and just tell them a little bit about taking a little bit of truth and then exaggerating it. So they have gone, we live in a very rural area here, so there's a lot of fishing and hunting and other aspects like that. And so the children just go and write as we're egging them on, the teacher and I uh, write uh, stories about those fishing and hunting experiences. Since they're writing it for a tall tale festival, there's that element of exaggeration, which very often is one of the standards or one of the objectives or a part of the language arts reading. Let's talk about that, the storytelling festival. Yes, because the pet stories, Eric, are only one of a large body of ways that students have participated in the festival. So you said, let's talk about the festival itself? Yeah, I mean, what are some of the ways that you formatted the festival over the years, and, and how did you get started in, in doing the festival so many years ago? Being a, a storyteller myself... I want, and also a teacher, I was teaching as an enrichment teacher when I first started, um, and there was an organization of teachers of enrichment, and we had meetings, and so I brought this up as a possibility to have a statewide festival in Connecticut, where I was um, going to school at UConn and also teaching, and so they got excited about it, and we had some funding, we wrote a little grant, we, we I got, you know, mini grants each year to run that particular festival and I would look for a venue that had about 10 to 15 rooms because at the time I was holding it on Saturday and the students that came were being encouraged by their either their reading teacher their librarian or the enrichment teacher and these students then would come on Saturday and they would um, come to the main meeting hall, usually an auditorium. So I would find either a middle school or a, a college. I was teaching part-time at Eastern Connecticut State University. We held it there one year. Then the next year I, w I was doing a, a course in storytelling at Wesleyan, and they had a wonderful stage and lots of rooms. So we used that venue one year. No, for several years, actually. It, it it that really took on and so you need about 10 to 15 rooms if you want to do a big full day thing which we used to do i no longer do that but i used to do a full day event because uh that's what the teachers wanted and the kids came and they had workshops that's what the uh, you know the 10 rooms is and then um they also after the workshops i had 10 uh people that gave workshops maybe one on voice one on how to use props 
one on how to use puppets, one on how to use mime, another workshop on, um, you know, creating stories, you know, just another, lots of, of ideas that they could gain from that day. And then they told the stories in groups of 10. That was the second hour. They told in groups of 10 in front of their parents. And then from that group, the group usually said, okay, we'll be sure that this one person out of our group gets to share that story. And then all the others were picked out of another part of my, I used to bring bongo drums for the third hour, and that was the main stage event. And so the children would be picked out of the bongo drum. The the small side were those one person from each of the ten groups. Do you see what I mean? If there were a hundred kids, let's say, which there were not a hundred children all the time, but sometimes there were. How, how did you deal with the issue of people who wanted to perform who weren't ready? Well, that's where the second half of the bongo drum was. So I, I would pick alternately. One I would pick from the side of the student's that were picked from their group. And that was a joint effort, you know, students and and the the leader and the parents, okay? And then the other side had all the names of the other students, the name tags. So they were in the other side of the bongo drum. So really, I everybody had access by chance to that third hour of telling on the big stage with a microphone. But they all got to tell in smaller groups, in the classroom, in a performance setting, in front of parents and guests and other tellers from other schools, of course. So do you see how that worked? The main stage had some students that wanted to tell but had not been that one teller that was chosen by that group. Do you see? Now, that? is this the method you initially used, or is this yes, the method you arrived method. after try, trying other methods? No, are that's other... the one that I started with. And oh, then afterwards we had a fourth. We might have eaten something, you know, like a little lunch, and then we always ended with with professional storytelling, so that the children got to go away with a lot of further experience on the art of communication which this uh, art form really, really helps. I've gotten so many letters from parents. Oh, can't tell you about thanking us for doing this because now their son isn't afraid, <laughs> you know, anymore. Uh, he, he knows how to um, continue even if he's forgotten what, you know what I mean, how some kids try to memorize but when they have, what we have each child do is create a map, a visual map, you know, like a storyboard or a circle map or a wraparound map or a cumulative map that is uh, a triangle, a cumulative map, a cumulative story accumulates uh, those items that are repeated. So I have them do that in a triangle. Whether they're retelling a folktale or telling their own story, that they've made up and created, that's, that picture that they've created and they've practiced from is so in their mind that even if they get nervous and are distracted for a minute when they're telling in their groups or on the main stage, they have that map to go back to in their mind's eye. You know, it helps 
the novice teller as well as the students that are, are already developed in communication. I mean, in terms of finding places to actually have a major performance, how did you do that? I mean, you, you did. Well, now I use a church because in my town, I want to tell you right now, I've learned to, for, because I've done these in three states, Connecticut, West Virginia, and Maryland. And right now, I'm using the venue of a church that happens to have a very nice little stage. It's a perfect size auditorium down in the basement. It's handicapped accessible. So if I do write a little mini grant to help with the expenses, that part is solved. And I've also tapped into the local festival which is called Autumn Glory in October. It's about a three- to four-day festival. So I'm assured of some out-of-town people that um, come because it's a festival of bands, and it's also a parade on Saturday afternoon. So people come, parents come for these uh, you know, music people that are uh, parading around and having competitions. There's a uh, square dance event. Oh, there's a banjo and fiddle contest in Oakland, Maryland. This is all part of the Western Maryland, um, Oakland. It's called the city is called Oakland, and it's always in the fall when the when the leaves are gorgeous, and they call it autumn glory. So our town swells from twenty eight thousand to over 60,000 people. So I've chosen that venue for, for this particular place where I live now because it just taps into all these audience possibilities as well as the parents of the children that are performing. I've used churches, as I am now. I've used state parks. In West Virginia, uh, one year we did Prickett's Fort, but that was hard because there was very little shade. So be vi- just be real careful about that. <laughs> um, you have to have shade for the audience as well as the performers. Um, and the other uh, venue that I've used a lot are colleges. Garrett College, I've had it there, a student storytelling festival where they told folk tales, you know, and tall tales and personal stories. Those are the original stories that they sometimes uh, make up. And um, so those are the major places where I've I've done them. And I've gone from doing a full day festival to do to doing a morning festival. And the student part is called the Tall Tale Student Storytelling Festival. And as I said, it's October 10th. You're all invited. Anyone listening <laughs> this year, it's it's always the second Saturday of October. <clears throat> So luckily, it doesn't conflict with the National Storytelling Festival in Jonesboro. When we have it now, it's much shorter. It's about an hour and a half to two hours for the Student Storytelling Festival. And everyone that applies in time uh, gets to tell. Now, you asked about the student who is not ready to tell. And that's where I come in because I'm going into the schools 
after the students, after I initially go into a classroom because a teacher invites me or I ask the teacher if they would like me to come in and tell a story and then I give out the forms and then the students that are interested bring it back and those then that have parent signatures, I come back to that school, that classroom and I work with that student at times that are convenient for the teacher. Uh, the teacher will usually allow one or two or sometimes the whole class, if it's a class story, which happens also frequently, I'll work with those students that, maybe six students that want to tell one story that they've either read or that they've created. So now we do it in two hours and it works very well and we get all the proceeds that we collect at the door that's the thing I want to talk about a way to entice the audiences in our town if we give money to a charity to a good cause you will find lots of local people wanting to support and come of course the parents are going to come because they're bringing the children these are mostly elementary and middle school they come because the, the community comes because in our case we're working through the AAUW and I noticed that Linda May was on the phone was uh, calling in and she is an AAUW member as and has been to many of these festivals and the money that we collect goes to a scholarship for Garrett College in um, my county uh, which is right up the road in McHenry that helps to make the people want to participate as audience members. When you're working with these kids, what are some different tricks that you want other people who coach children to know about getting good stories out of the, the students? You mean different methods that I use? Yeah. Okay, different methods that I use to get stories are, one, I go in one way that a teacher would want me to participate is to first tell a folk tale, a tall tale in this case. Other years we've done just regular folk storytelling, but lately we've been doing tall tales. So <laughs> I'll go in and tell, um, you know, a Davy Crockett or a Sally Ann, Thunder Ann, Whirlwind Crockett story, or one of my own, you know, personal ones, <laughs> like the one I told you about Night Sounds, and I anyway, I tell a story, and then I describe the festival. And a big part of having students want to um, write their own story is hearing you tell a story. So that's one way. Another way is to is to tell them a fishing story, which you know I have lots of because my husband's a fisherman, or tall tale fishing story, and have them think of and brainstorm it's the brainstorming process and and the oh how could you make that into a tall tale that makes such a big difference in how they then go into their own memories and then write uh these fantastic uh, stories about submarines and you know fish that are gigantic or whatever whatever comes into their minds 
and then I do another uh, lesson sometimes with the good bad story. Now you've heard that. That's uh, you know where one one part of your story is a good thing, and another part of your story is a bad thing, and that format of folklore emanates from the you know the down east. Anything much happened while I've been gone? Well, no, not much, except the house burned down, you know, the roof caught on, what? You know, that kind of thing. And then he says, no, no, don't worry. You know, the cows got out of the barn or whatever, and then the person uh, says, oh, good. (laughs) So that's a kind of tandem, good-bad story format. From that, people, you know, there are books out now, children's books, good-bad, fortunately, unfortunately, they make wonderful formats for students to abs- to take and abstract their own adventures that are real but make them a little bit uh, exaggerated and sometimes they're totally true like one class i said to them anything much happened lately oh yeah we went on a field trip where'd you go oh we went to the amusement park oh well what happened there oh Oh, we went here, we went there. They told me a whole bunch of things. And then they said, we went on the Ferris wheel, and it got stuck. And we we were swinging in the breeze. And then they told me about one student that threw up, and it landed on the, you know, the car below on one of their classmates. And it was the most hilarious story, because they did it in a good-bad format. Well, sometimes teachers, in, in the setting you're described, they worry about the content of the student stories that maybe a student might have inappropriate material. Yeah, and the word inappropriate, the word inappropriate can can stretch depending on who the person is and what their idea of inappropriate is. So how do you handle that issue? Well, the throwing up thing was fine, you know, there that was nothing inappropriate about it. Uh what happens is that um the students that I've dealt with in this county and in other counties where I've done the uh, this have not have kind of gotten into the spirit of it. They're mostly elementary students that I'm dealing with in grades um, two through six, a little bit of middle school. Um, they love to come in and do it. Um, so I'm not sure that I can give you an example of how I've dealt with it because, believe it or not, in three states over 24 years, I have not had to really do it. Now, that actually says a lot I know about what happens when you let people create their own material. Right. And the other thing I want to tell you, Eric, is that creative people, as well as children, will push the limits. And I kind of go along with it to a certain point. You know what I mean? I'll laugh with them, and I'll. but it's clear from my body language that we're not going to go further or that that isn't for this audience. Above that, I don't really have too much experience telling you how to deal with that. And you're talking about the middle school audience. Yeah, even middle school. I've oh my goodness, they they love writing their own stories. They love writing. So, but but you're talking about middle schoolers or grade schoolers who are creating their own That's stories. That's correct. Middle school, they like to do their most embarrassing incidents. And they like to do before-I-knew-better stories. I've done a lot of residencies on um, 
using personal stories and one of the best techniques I've ever used is um, before I knew better <laughs> and my most embarrassing incident. For example, one child, uh, um, eighth, seventh or eighth grader, I was working in that um, those classes and he wrote a story and we, we try to encourage at the middle school level that they use puns and that they use um, you know kind of metaphorical shifts of language so he he did his title was I Nude It Would Happen and he spelled it N-U-D-E so of course you can tell what happened to him, you know, something happened with being nude. And um, of course I had told a, a, a mother-in-law story where um, she had lost her clothes in a in a, a muddy creek and was nude. That might have triggered his thought about that when he went into the ocean and lost his bathing suit. And, of course, he ended it with a little moral. He said, now, I just have one thing to say to you. If you don't want to get stuck in the ocean for, you know, 20, 25 minutes until somebody brings you a towel, he said, I have one thing to say to you. When you are going and doing the waves and trying to dive over them and under them, just be sure you wear a tight spandex bathing suit <laughs> because otherwise... Um, you know, you will be saying, I knew it would happen. <laughs> and um, another young middle school well, so student. So what, are, what yeah. are the benefits? I mean, if, if you were to meet someone who's never done a storytelling festival in their school, they've never done a storytelling residency, what are, what are the benefits that you would describe for the students, the parents, the school, and the community? Well, the first benefit, it's an outlet for their creativity. Believe me, when, when the child did a story called uh, Mother's Pain, and he spelled it P-A-N-E, that was when he broke the window pane <laughs> and got a licking because he ran away. And uh, when you do that, I mean, the the way that they put their stories together can be so creative. And they they do need guidance. I have to tell you that now. They do need adult as well as their classmates um, suggestions you know this is a learning opportunity for them for writing and for creativity or for just simple retelling experiences um, like I did with LD students I didn't make them write it down because they were so creative if I had stopped they drew it they drew the the storyboard but they didn't have to write it down. But for other students, the creativity after telling, then they write. So you tell your stories to know what you need to write if you ever get to the stage of having to write it. I usually just ask them to do um, a map of the story, you know, the setting and a storyboard, and then I ask them to do a chunked outline. That's like bullet points, you know, just major chunks of the story. What was your question again? <laughs> you met someone who had never seen this before. What are the benefits that you would describe? Oh, yeah. So the benefits, I was talking about their creativity, their humor. This is a chance for them to really ham it up. So the kids that are the itches in class and love to make sounds and are just, you know, always chatting and interrupting, I mean... These are the kids that desperately need this. And for the other children, it builds self-confidence and self-respect. That's the those are the ones where I get the letters from the parents, you know, saying, 
gee, thank you so much. You know, now my son isn't as frightened <laughs> to give a report, you know, because he knows he doesn't have to read it word for word. And um, the, it, it teaches techniques for what we use most in life, which is our communication, our skills at relating to others through words. This is what we use most in, in life. Most people are fired, not because they don't know the whatever it is they're working at, but because of some other aspect uh, that relates to communication. At least that's what Psychology Today said years back. So the benefits are in communication skills, in self-confidence, self-respect, and also in going into the creative and humor and writing realms. When teachers get used to allowing students some freedom for what they want to do, oh boy, then they can use storytelling themselves to teach curriculum. But that's a whole other aspect. I'm going to ask everybody on the call, I'm going to, um, you're welcome to chime in with a question or a comment. Uh, just make sure you introduce yourself. So go ahead. Well, this was Katie. And one of the things I was wondering when uh, Gail was talking about the Cody story and with the little fish and that sort of thing, um, about what age group did that really work well with? At that time, that was third grade, I believe. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, but it will work with, I've done it with um, fifth graders. I've done it with second graders. That that happened to be a third grade. Okay. Do you <laughs> find that certain subjects are better for certain age groups? Oh, yeah. Like I was mentioning, the Before I Knew Better stories uh, and the, um, you know, the, um, pardon? The embarrassing moment. Yeah, those work well with middle school. Plus, there's always the good old retelling of folk tales and, uh-huh. and, and all kinds of folk stories. Uh, I prefer the ones that don't have pictures, that are in anthologies, you know, the ones that like Spinning Tales, Weaving Hope, like Joining In, those books. Uh, I can provide a list for uh, for Eric. He can maybe, or maybe I, if anyone emails me, I could send it to them. But those stories always work well because they're, you know, folk stories and they deal with cultural aspects, too, so that can relate to certain standards. Thanks for asking that question. I hope I answered it. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it sounds good. I really, I really enjoyed it. There's so much to think about that uh, I almost don't even know what question to ask. <laughs> well, you know, Katie, one thing I forgot about the Tall Tale Festival is the AAUW, the American Association for University Women, helps to give some prizes, a little bag full of goodies and trinkets to every single student. Yeah, and then the businesses, the bank provided a $50 savings bond uh, because every student gets a small bag and then they get another little prize that's, that m- businesses have donated I go out and ask every year uh, in this particular uh, town that I live in, and they're so generous. I'm telling you, they will all give something. And the AAUW women uh, always uh, buy things and then give me those that I give away, whether it's a book or, you know, a puzzle or, um, you know, some accessory that is hot at the moment. (laughs) Hannah Montana. 
you know, one thing I like, because I've attended that before, is that um, each student gets an award, like maybe most creative, most expressive. Yes. I forgot to mention that. Like that aspect of it. Thank you for bringing that out. Instead of it being a contest, every student is recognized for what they gave us that was the best in them. So Katie just reminded me that I have this sheet that goes along with it that has uh, best voices, best gestures, best um, costume if they wore one, you know, best um, rhyme if it's a story song or a rhyming story that they that they are retelling, or you know, best plot, best characters, best original story, best audience response. <laughs> I could I could go on and on about that. This is Helene. Gail, have you ever used this storytelling techniques with older students, or do you think it's not appropriate for them? Oh, hi, Helene. That's a very good question. And yes, um, I have, um, uh, as part of a residency uh, at Dundalk um, in the high school, we created personal stories. Now, in that case... It was a serious festival. The The class that was, uh, two classes that were putting it on, uh, wrote stories. And then they were very personal about relationships with friends, with siblings. And this, Eric, it speaks to your point about inappropriate versus appropriate um, for the older children. Um, because we that was written first before it was told, instead of being told and then, you know, long after writing it. These, they decided not to tell their own stories. So the audience never knew who was telling what story. So if a student talked about uh, almost getting pregnant or, you know, being uh, tempted by drugs or, or t- you, know, wor- uh, you know, smoking marijuana or whatever it is, this was not them telling their story. So nobody knew in the audience whose story it was. And there were very few that were that scary, you know what I mean, where the police might come down on them. The teacher... I'm trying to remember if the marijuana one ever actually got in that way. It might have been tempered so that it indicated something to that effect. Do you see what I mean? But the key to that was that the stories were not told by the individual, and they were personal. That's what gets the high school students. Is there anyone else on the call who hasn't asked a question or made a comment? I just only got a minute here. Do you have anything else, anybody else in the call want to add anything? Um, this is Margaret. I do live in Oakland, and we have been to the storytelling festivals, and I just want to let you know that they are excellent. Oh, thank you, Margaret. I'm so glad. Uh, do you go to the adult one as well as the student one? I stay all day. Oh, good for you, Margaret. I'm so glad you're here. I'll have to re- really shake your hand the next time. So I'm going to um, go on because it's, it's currently 9 o'clock. Hey, everybody. This is Michael Reno Harrell, and you're listening to The Art of Storytelling with Brother Wolf. Because what I wanted to do was make an offer, and for the first 10 people 
Eric, that either um, call me and leave a message or email me. I will give them a I will give them a 15 to 20 minute session on ways that they can do uh, or build a storytelling event with students. Is this available to anyone worldwide? Yeah, anyone that calls in or emails me. All right. The first 10. <laughs> or is it better, uh, Eric, just to make it one one way? No, I think that's good. Email you. Um, they can email you to set up a time to call you because you're hard to reach. Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> now, do you have any other offer you want to talk about? You want to invite people? What what classes do you teach throughout the year usually? Oh, I teach at um, Confertute, which is at the University of Connecticut in the summer. And that's a conference on creative and innovative teaching and differentiated education. I teach storytelling there. I would love it if people came to the University of Connecticut. They can come for one or two weeks. I teach as part of a larger, you know, the conference itself is called Confratute, Conference and Institute, <laughs> Confratute. And it's online, so they can look that up online at the University of Connecticut, uh, NEAG School of Education, N-E-A-G. But it's online. And I also have a CD, if anyone is interested. I'd be happy of stories, so I'd be happy to, you know, share that with them. Uh, to find that, you mean sell them? Well, yes. <laughs> to contact me, please phone 301 387-9199 or email me at gnherman at comcast.net My website is www.wvstorytellers.org slash id21.html I would like to offer to anyone listening that I, too, uh, do school residencies. Um, I, have a, I have some resources online if you haven't yet signed up for it. I have a free e-course at storytellingwithchildren.com slash storytelling, and it's a 13-part free e-course on how to be a storyteller. But if you are interested in doing a storytelling festival for your student body in your school, you know, send me an email and... I am really inspired by Gail's offer and by her discussion. I just want to remind the audience that I have at theartofstorytellingshow.com slash storytelling a free e-course called The Zen of Storytelling in Seven Simple Steps. And if you want to teach storytelling to kids, this would be a great place to start. Just taking this free e-course and getting a sense of... Um, how to do performance storytelling. Gail, do you have any last words for the international storytelling community? Well, just that I think that the more that we can offer enrichment in the public schools, the ceiling gets raised immensely because when you key into student interests, you raise the ceiling and therefore you raise the floor, meaning that students learn more when they are extremely motivated and 
connecting with their own personal and creative selves, the opportunity to learn language and grammar increase immensely and writing (laughs) as well as subject areas that stories bring to the classroom. So that's that's just what I want and hope that many, many teachers and librarians will take the plunge and start small, start with a grade level and build it up to a state or a district-wide storytelling festival. Thank you. Very cool. Part of this conversation for me that's really helpful for us to, to come back to to remember as we're hanging out here is that a storytelling festival in a school doesn't require a lot of physical resources. It doesn't require a specialist, though it's helpful if you have someone like Gail, Dr. Gail Herman, to come in and help you, or myself. Oh, yeah, but it doesn't need to be a teacher. It doesn't need need to be a big production. It can be as simple as the, the gym stage. Every classroom nominates someone to go and tell on that stage, and the whole school watches. Right, exactly. And it could be even store, if they're really concerned with standards, it could be stories from their reading books. Yes. <laughs> or they're re- not reading books, cause, but, you know, from the trade books. If they, but as long, I really like it when it's folk tales. But one student won this, the Tall Tale Liars Festival by telling a section of Judith Bloom's, Judy Bloom's story where um, the little boy swallows a turtle. A dribble. Where's my dribble? And he just retold that and um, in his own words, and it was just great. So it could be things that they're reading personally or through school textbooks even. So, Gail, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. This guest has written a post to the blog that can be read at www.artofstorytellingshow.com This post includes a bio and a link to the guest's website plus other additional information about our discussion. If you want to respond to this show, you can find this post and share your thoughts through the comment system in the blog comment box. If you wish to join a future show as an audience member, go to www.artofstorytellingshow.com slash alerts and sign up to the email alert system. You can buy CDs of shows and preloaded iPods on the website. The music was created by Mary Kay Croft, and we are much indebted to her contribution. This show is produced and hosted by me, Brother Wolf, and I am responsible for its content. It is released under a Creative Commons non-derivative and non-commercial license. That means you can copy it and you can give it away, but you can't splice it up or sell it. High-definition versions of this show are considered copyrighted, all rights reserved. 